Jackie Coley says, we sit in the shit until we know what it is. She embraces adversity and talks about her four pillars of mental and emotional strength. She plays off her personal struggles that include grief from cancer and death, trauma, and abuse to highlight positive focuses like service, yoga, and interior design. Learn more about Christmas for Cancer Families and Courage to be Yoga. Enjoy. Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery. Ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Neider. I'm a husband, a father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelly Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. We are so excited today to have Jackie Cully with us. Jackie has just a wealth of information um, and experience, and she's got her hands in a lot of things. Jackie, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Super fun. Um, Let's start for a minute um, just to give us a little bit of history, kind of where you come from, what's your background, so that we can have some frame of reference as to the rest of the story. How's that? (laughs) I'm just your average human. I grew up here in the valley. Um, You know, I don't know. I I guess most of what has happened in my life, I never would have imagined would have happened in my life. Nor would I have uh, signed up for, I don't think. But probably I must have maybe in a previous life. Um, A lot of times when people ask me to introduce myself, I've had that happen a lot because I've done several podcasts. And, you know, so typically people start with I am statements and I, and I really, as I've done my, um, my, my own work, I guess, I've just realized that I'm not any of those labels because those labels all get stripped away from you at some point. Mm -hmm. If you're Jackie, like all of Jackie's labels get stripped away because I think God continues to try and teach me that all I need is him and me. So, but, um. I'm a mom. I had three children uh, married. I uh, grew up just right here in the valley. I live in South Jordan. I have an interior design business. It's called Jackie Cully Design. And it has fluctuated with how busy it is over the years. I opened in 2012. Um, Currently, I'm extremely busy and feeling very blessed about that, but very busy. Um, I also have a yoga studio, which is just in my basement, that I opened 2015, 17, I can't remember. Um, It's called Courage to Be Yoga, and what we specialize in there is are some workshops. So in our workshops, they're three hours each, and they each consist of 10 weeks. And so we do yoga and meditation for the first hour. And then we do groups, group discussion and talk about what we're learning and share. And then the last hour we study either the chakras, the yamas and niyamas, or we pick a book that we love like Brene Brown's Gift of Imperfection, The Untethered Soul. My next one I want to create a curriculum for is Letting Go. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, I taught group fitness for, well, I still teach group fitness. I've been doing that for over 20 years. I teach weightlifting, cycling, yoga, kickbox, all those kinds of things. Um, I love to go boating. I love to be out in nature. I love to step outside my comfort zone and do all the things that scare me to death. (laughs) Well, then it does sound just like, you know, a normal average life. Yeah. Except it's not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I love, I love this idea of I mean, you got such a variety, right? You do the design and you do the yoga. What else? Is there other? Um, well, I have a, an organization, I guess you could call it. I haven't done any legal official work with it to call it such, but we do a thing called Christmas for Cancer Families uh, around Christmas every year um, for the last four years. And what that is is we find cancers who are suffering from the effects of cancer and we do Christmas for them. And the first year it was just one family, a gal that I met while I was getting my hair done who was dying from brain cancer. And um, uh, she had mentioned she wanted to take her family on a vacation, but she couldn't go very far. And so I said, would you like to go stay at our cabin at Bear Lake? And she said she would love that. And so on my way driving home, I just was flooded with inspiration. And I thought, oh, she's not just going to my cabin. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to gather my friends and we're going to do Christmas for them. And I'm going to order special ornaments for each of them. And we're going to fill the fridge with food and stack the cabinets with <laughs> treats. And, you know, and wow. so uh, we did that. And then it just kind of such a good experience for my family that we... Um, have gone ahead and made it a tradition. And each year we've actually expanded and grown um, and helped multiple families. This last year we ended up helping four families and we helped the the most significant, amazing transformation that we did was we helped this family of 11 in just down here in Lehigh. They had a little, they have a little boy named um, Eli who has got terminal cancer. And, I went to visit with them to see kind of what I could do because the the year prior I had replaced a roof and gotten a new microwave and gotten furniture for and in addition to sending them to Bear Lake and Christmas, you know, because so many people are looking for something bigger to be involved in or looking for purpose. And so I just have such a good response of people who are willing and wanting to to do that, that... Um, when I went into our home, it was evident that with 11 people, the home was very crowded. It was wall-to-wall stuff, and the mom was clearly very overwhelmed. And so even though I could see she needed new flooring and cabinets, maybe I thought to myself, like, I would actually have to bulldoze this house in order to make this happen. Mm. So I was talking to a friend of mine, and miracles just happen at this, you know, when I do this, like, it's not me. It's just... I see God's hand all over the place. And um, I ran into a friend who, her daughter and and her husband, so it was Lexi and Parker Waldeck, started a new organization just this year called Uplift Mission. Mm -hmm. And their goal is to do a complete home makeover for one family a year in need. And so she said, we wanna team up with you and do a home makeover for this family. And I said, you don't understand. You, You haven't seen inside this house. Like it's very, very full what will we, we would have to move them out and take everything out. She's like, let's do it. And so we had 
like Google spreadsheets, people were signing up, people would just show up. We hired, organized with Tracy, we had pods and storage pods and dumpsters and in a three week period of time, we put them in a rental and then we moved them up to Bear Lake for Christmas. We provided Christmas for them, but first we, we gutted that house. And with my design contacts, I had, you know, cabinets from another job that we painted and brought back to life. We got my tile guy to donate stuff. We got my carpenter to do stuff, plus all the just manual labor of volunteers. And then people donated all Christmas for all 11 of them. We had people donate an entire, sent one of their kids on a mission, bought all this luggage, all of his clothing. It was just all new computers, like set up workstations for them, completely organized their whole house and labeled everything. It was Oh my word. Unreal. Life changing for them. Yeah, so cool. Sorry, I totally geek out on that stuff. Well, no, because those are like the stories that go, this is why we do all of this, right? This is why we yeah. why we go through all the hard, right? Is because then we can relate and go, I know what they need. Yeah. I know what they need and we can there's there's people out there that can help. That's so yeah. cool. So two thoughts just came to my mind as you were saying that. Well, for the first thing was is in the midst of doing that. I mean, certainly that would have been a big enough project for Christmas for cancer families, but we had three other families that were introduced to us in, and then even one, you know, one in Michigan that we shipped Christmas to. But what you were just saying was, it reminded me of tapas, which is one of the yamas and niyamas and tapas is heat or fire. Uh And in that, in that book, the chapter, it talks about, can you stay in the heat or in the fire until you discover the the blessing or the miracle and that's I don't know why but that just kind of reminded me of that no very that's very cool because isn't that I mean in this day and age we don't want pain we don't want struggle we want everything to be easy and I love that thought of can we stay in the fire long enough right to learn the learn whatever's there to learn or to see the miracle that's that's cool yeah and I guess that's why it reminded me of that was because I feel like because I've been through so many hard things I think it has prepped me And for some reason, it's that purification and refining process, but somehow it invites more magic into your life. If you're willing to stay in the fire long enough to be purified without letting it destroy you, I guess. Yeah. And it's a balancing act. And we certainly, I don't think we do it alone. Yeah, definitely not. That's cool. Okay. So, woof. That's, I love that you shared that and that that's what you do. And and obviously there'll be a lot of listeners that uh, we'll, we'll have you give some contact information at the end so okay. that they can also contribute because, you know, there's lots of people out there that have extra and there's a lot of people who yeah. need help. Yeah, so. it's crazy because I had everything taken care of and there were still families contacting me saying, my family wants some, you know, to help for Christmas. Do you have another family? And, and then another family would show up oh. or somebody else would contact me and say, my, my sister's family's looking for something. Can, do you have anything else you need? And then another family would, and it's just, it's just crazy. It works out. It works out when you put those intentions out there. That's fantastic. So let's talk a minute about why you pick families with cancer. Okay. So, um, the, one of the biggest trials of my life that I'm still currently in, and I like to say, <laughs> One of my favorite things is we sit in the shit until we know what it is. <laughs> like, you have to sit in the shit. But I'm sitting in the shit right now of grief. Like, so mm. I mentioned that I had three children, and my first child was my daughter, Mallory. 
and she was actually born with a bone disease, uh, which we discovered at 18 months. And so we dealt with that her whole life, and we spent a lot of time at Shriners, and we're became very familiar with surgeries and all the procedures in the medical world and doctors and different things. And, you know, I look back on that and I'm like, hmm, was that to prepare me for what was next? Because then my second child that was born, Riley, is, he's a boy, he was three and three years younger than Mallory. And then I also have my, my third child, Levi, who's also three years younger. So my middle child, Riley, when he turned he was 17. He was a senior at Bingham High School, and he played on the football team. And he had he was getting close to graduation. It was in March, and he had been having back pain on and off for several months. We had taken him to the doctor, and they couldn't find anything wrong with him. Um, but eventually, in looking for kidney stones, they found that he had bone cancer called Ewing's sarcoma. And he was diagnosed with that cancer when he was just in the final... Um, few months of his senior year and so he didn't get to take advantage of that football scholarship that he had gotten nor did he get to go on the LDS mission that he had hoped to serve but uh, the day that the day after that he announced he was going to serve a mission was the day he got the news that he had cancer and I believe that that was his mission mm. um, so he we fought cancer with with my sweet Riley for seven years or six, six and a half years. And he um, passed away last year in January on the 5th, uh, right before COVID came around and wreaked havoc everywhere. Yeah. And so I am currently just learning about grief. And then, uh, so January 5th was the anniversary of his death, which I had heard about anniversaries and triggering dates and stuff, but it's it's real. Um, and then one month after that, my cute nephew that I love so much, Remington, um, he died of an accidental overdose. And then four days after Remington passed away, my father passed away. Oh. And so it just brought all that grief back up and knocked me flat on my back. and. So I get to learn all about grief and what that feels like. And, but that is why we do Christmas for Cancer Families was because my family kind of knew firsthand what it felt like to have to do Christmas when you have a sibling or some, a family member who has a terminal illness or disease and it's just not fun. It's like, what do you buy? Yeah. What, do you, what is there to be happy about? And so what we discovered when I we did that the first year was my son Riley was alive and he was still working at Nike. And it even even though he knew that he would eventually die from cancer, he he got excited about serving. And he went to work at Nike and uh, hung up signs and everything and collected an outfit and shoes for everyone in, in Danny Madsen's family. And that, that's been a tradition that we do every year. We include a nike stuff and nike gets involved in and donates clothing for everybody in shoes so wow. that's in honor of my, my son so he was still alive the first year you did it he, yeah he was actually alive the first let me think three years this yeah. was the first year that yeah. we had so the the year before he died 
we, he and I were leaving primary children's. We just were getting in the elevator at the same time as this young mom with her baby in her carrier. And I had seen them walk out of the chemo uh, room. And I said to her in the elevator, please tell me that your little boy doesn't have cancer. And she, and, and that day Riley and I had just walked out of clinic and Riley had just told Dr. Fair that he's not, didn't want to do any more treatment because it was no longer buying him quality of life. It was just making him more miserable. So we were kind of the end of our journey. And, uh, this mom said, yeah, that, that this little baby in her carrier was a twin and he had cancer. And then she shared with us that, uh, she had had a, another child previously die of something else. But so she clearly had had some rough stuff and it was in the fall. And so when, when it came time to pick a family, Riley and I were like, yeah, let's do this family. And so Riley was excited about that as well. But yeah. One something to, and it kind of brings back that idea that, um, even in the heart of the really hard things that that act of service is a way to pull us out of, you know, I mean, it's not like Riley was going to escape what, right. what was happening, but it could pull him out of it and bring him some joy. Yeah. Some of the greatest, I mean, Riley was, was your typical 22, 23 year old. And when he got cancer and then thought, you know, he thought he kicked its ass the first time. And when it came back, you know, he just became more and more humble. He was this big football player. And toward the end of his journey, he worked at Nike and there was a little family that came in and, and a mom with two little boys and they were rambunctious and rowdy and were tearing the place apart. And so Riley's really good people person and he went up and the kids were throwing stuff out of the bins and so he started playing with them and distracting them. And uh, I can't remember what it was. Oh, one of the little boys said, Riley threw him a soccer ball and it had a team on it that the little boy liked and he said yeah for my wish I'm gonna go to the that team's soccer game and Riley goes oh you get a wish it immediately you know he knew about it because Riley had gotten a wish from the make-a-wish program and so they started talking and this little boy was like yeah I have cancer and he lifted up his shirt and showed Riley his port and Riley lifted up his shirt and showed the little boy his port scar mm -hmm. and then uh, the next thing I knew Riley was hanging out with this little kid up at primaries. He took him his, his PlayStation game that he, you know, that he didn't use. And he was taking his, him, he was giving his mom money and taking their family clothes. And like, he eventually was like, mom, I don't think I should keep, be keep giving her stuff. Cause he didn't know. But anyway, yeah, it definitely service was helpful for our family and for Riley in that situation. Wow. And it, I mean, it just makes his life have value and meaning yeah. even in the heart of the struggle. Yeah. That's some hard stuff. I'm, uh, and I appreciate you sharing that with yeah. us by the way, cause I can tell yeah. it's fairly near and dear to your heart and you know, still pretty tender it as is. it will be for, I'm sure. I don't know if it ever goes away for a mom, does it? Yeah, no. And it's interesting, you know, I had never lost anybody, not a parent or anything other than a grandparent. And so I didn't really know what grief was. So to have your child be your first experience of grief is rough. I mean, I used to think all the, the things that I guess people who don't understand grief think like the things you think you should say, like, Oh, they're in a better place or, 
or you know just not understand how very broken they are and how fragile they are because I just for the last year that after Riley passed it's like I just kind of assumed that everybody would talk kindly to me and that everybody would just treat me super nice because I was so fragile mm -hmm. and so to have Riley die and then to have um, COVID come out and people start telling me to cover my mouth and put a mask on which was a massive trigger to me because I'll just throw this out there. I was sexually abused as a child with my mouth covered. Oh. And so I'm like, uh, no, I'm not. Nope, I'm not wearing that mask. Oh, I can't have groceries if I don't wear a mask. Oh, you're not going to give me my prescriptions if I don't have a mask. Like, did not sit well with me. And then when I felt like neighbors and family were, you know, looking down on me for not wearing a mask or, or wanting to argue with me about it. And then, so I'm in, you know, adding insult to injury here and then black lives matter started tearing the place apart and i looked on a facebook and it said they were gonna start tear down statues of jesus christ and i'm like okay whoa 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 like i was just trigger 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 triggered uh -huh. and so i posted something on on my social media which was a mistake because i was <laughs> acting out of emotion and not you know thinking that through but yeah it resulted in nothing good with relationships being severed and feelings uh, being hurt but it's an, it's what you bring up is not i don't know if it's that abnormal right is that you get these just these really hard things in your life and and then you're so vulnerable and you're so fragile and it just seems like one thing after another hits you right and it's just the littlest things because you just don't have the the wherewithal to manage the hard stuff because you're in the middle of it. Yeah, and you haven't had time to heal from the previous blow. Oh, I don't know. It's crazy. It is crazy. And so what, and you bring this up is that people, well-meaning people, because I believe people try and, you know, are trying to do their best. I try and believe that always. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it, yeah. but they're trying to do their best and they mean well, but yeah. they just don't understand. Yeah. They don't understand. Yeah, I don't ever think it's intentional. Um, my very own sister, who we've we've repaired all of it, but just a few short months after Riley died, we got in a massive fight. She called me and said, I feel like I need to bring a box of cake mixes and cookie dough and come over and help you take serve your neighbors so that you can move on. Like, you need to stop talking about Riley. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, you're killing me. Like... And then it was just, it got so ugly that we just didn't speak. And so, and, and in the grief books, it talks about when you lose somebody, you end up losing a lot of other people because mm -hmm. they either don't know what to say, so they avoid you or something, a misunderstanding happens like with my sister. And so they, then you have that falling apart or the grief monster comes out and you tear somebody a new, a new one. <laughs> And they are like, you're out, like, you know. So you, it's kind of feels like the Tasmanian devil, like mm -hmm. flying r flying through life, like leaving nothing but destruction in its path, slinging, slinging shit on everyone, yeah. just displaced anger and hurt. And it's ugly. It just gets ugly. But you do the best you can. Right? I mean, you do. And, you, and then you're working through an awful lot of emotion. And, and like you brought up, it has a way of impacting relationships in a lot of ways and this kind of of loss can really affect that core unit you know the family like you and your husband oh, yeah. and your kids talk about that a little bit oh um 
Well, my husband and I have had problems since we got married. I mean, I remember walking down the altar thinking, well, if this doesn't work out, we'll just get a divorce. <laughs> because I was only 18 and I had been sexually abused. So I knew that I was just wanting to be loved. And now I understand it was a total codependency thing. And, and, and I had no self-worth, no self-esteem. I didn't know who I was. And so I just married the first person that paid attention to me. Um, and then I just completely lost my train of thought. What did you ask me? What was That's what's nice about a podcast. <laughs> Isn't that right? We just go back and cut it out. Cut it out. So <laughs> let's re-ask the question. Let's get to start really from the beginning. Bleep all the swear That's just what we do. <laughs> it's fantastic. Okay. Well, talking about the relationships and the hard, and, and just you can just keep going. Oh. You don't even, you know, they'll forget what the question is too. <laughs> but just talk about the relationships, oh, yeah, that family relationships, and how that affects. Yeah. And the story, because there's a story so that goes with it. With with sexual abuse, what I've learned is that we disassociate any kind of trauma, whether it's abandonment or abuse or any kind of trauma, which honestly, I believe everybody in this world has experienced trauma. I think as spiritual beings coming into a physical body on an earthly plane, that is traumatic. Mm -hmm. And so whether we remember it or not, we've all experienced trauma. And so I think what happens is 99.9% .9 of the people in this world are we um, we live in our heads or we disassociate from ourselves. That's the word I was looking for. And, um, and so we live completely in our heads. We don't want to feel our emotions. And so rather than feel our emotions, we end up checking out. And so for a good portion of my marriage, my husband and I both had our different checkouts. And there was a lot of, you know, just dysfunction because of our, our upbringings and our experiences in our childhood. But then our kid, you bring kids into that, in that into that dysfunction, and, it, and there's, you know, codependency there. There's kids that feel like they have to be the parent. And then you bring in um, betrayal and the trauma of that on both sides, and that adds a whole other element. And then you add uh, cancer into that with a terminal diagnosis and throw betrayal into the middle of that and you've just got a massive nightmare to deal with and what one of the so my my two children that are still here on earth my daughter she had left on a mission an LDS mission right before Riley got diagnosed with cancer so she was in uh, on her mission when he when we got that news and she remained on her mission because we felt hopeful that, that he could be treated. And he, he was, by the time she got home, he was doing well. But And then she came home and moved right out to college and then got married. And because my whole focus during that time shifted to cancer for six and a half years, she felt completely just forgotten. And our relationship, you know, suffered from that. And then my youngest boy, Levi... He was only in eighth grade when his sister left on a mission and then his brother got cancer. So anybody who met him or saw him at school or at church or in the pu in public would say, how's your sister? How's your brother? How's your mom? It was like he was completely invisible and that's how he felt. But he did so well during that time. Like in middle school, he won an award in the school for being the most uh, like positive kid. And a lot of the moms up at the hospital that I would talk to, their children at home were 
were suffering with drug abuse and addiction and and in trouble a lot because they were forgotten and ignored because the parents obviously are focusing and scared to death that their other child's going to die. And so I didn't even realize this problem until after or the last six months of Riley's life um, when Riley finally the tumors filled his lungs and he couldn't breathe and the doctor said you may only have a month to live he called his brother on his mission and and asked him to please come home that was all he cared about was his brother and so Levi gave up his biggest dream and even though he had been invisible you know and already sacrificed so much for Riley uh, he came home from Honduras which was the dream of a mission that he had always wanted to do was to go bathe in a bucket in the middle of nowhere and um but it was after Riley passed that I realized how messed up Levi was from from that whole experience and and so we're about a year out and Levi's doing incredibly well he has started his own business called Invictus Floor Coatings and he does mm. garage floor coatings and my daughter's amazing she gave us a sweet little grandson named Noah about six months before Riley died and and we love our son-in-law Chase, but um, yeah, my husband and I, now that, you know, it's taken a long time. This last year, a lot of dust has settled and things, and we've both been going to counseling individually and doing our own work, and we're starting to come back together and work work on things as a couple, and it, it's getting better, but yeah, it's, life is messy. <laughs> And, and we just say that you're just a normal everybody, <laughs> you know, but life has a way of bringing experiences that, that stretch us and make us grow and, yeah. or kill us. Yeah. <laughs> and you're still standing and still married incredibly. Yeah. It's, it's, I wonder why all the time. I'm like, how did I walk off? Am I stupid? Like what's going on? Am I crazy? But I just, I don't know. Well, you've got the cards stacked against you a little bit. It feels like you had a few few bumps in the road, a few really big, huge bumps in the road. Yeah. So if this, now this, I didn't, you know, this is kind of a big question, so answer it however you want, but what are your pillars? What do you support your recovery, your healing, your, like keeping your family together? There's something there. Can you identify some of those pieces? Yeah. I actually kind of tried to think as I was walking this morning about just maybe three or four points that I could share that are really helpful for me that changed my life. So I came up with four ahas that I, uh, that I think and live by. And the first one is talking about the missing puzzle piece. And in the chakras, we learn about this and just in life, but we can rearrange all the exterior pieces of our life all day long. And until we find that one piece that needs to be in the very center of our puzzle called God, our puzzle's never going to be complete. And whatever God means to you, that's fine. That's that's your choice. But but we have to identify something that is bigger than ourselves. Because if we don't, when everything else in life is stripped away from you, and you start asking yourself, well, who am I? If I'm not a mom, if I'm not a wife, if I can't, if I'm no longer the group fitness director and I can no longer teach group fitness because my body's too old, if my design business has crashed because of the economy, if my little black Audi that I drove 
the engine blew up in it and I no longer drive a black Audi, if I got released from my calling in my, in my church because I swore on social media, then who am I? Who am I? And if there's no God, then I'm not even a daughter of God. So where do I ground myself? What do I ground myself to? There's nothing. And so you have to have a higher power that you can identify with. And, and I've heard that in all the like 12 step programs I've ever attended or trauma um, workshops that I've attended with PTSD and abuse and all that stuff is I think that that, so I just will share this really fast. Like I, I grew up in a Christian home, but, but I learned that because of being abused as a child, we, and because we are disassociated from ourselves, we uh, don't trust people and we don't want to be told what to do. We don't like authority. And so religion is never going to work for a person like that. They're not going to be told that there's this invisible God that they should be scared of. So this mindfulness stuff that I do in these yoga workshops is partly what saved me. But the day that I was sitting in my car, I always struggled since I was young. There's been this war inside of me. Like I've always felt like I knew that God existed, but my, but I would always argue it and say, no, that that's BS. Like your religion is bunk. But the day that I was sitting in my car and I got the phone call from the doctor about my son having cancer, um, I sat there very peacefully and I hung up the phone and I felt a presence, which I believe to be God himself or an angel next to me. And he said, this is where you'll learn of me. Pay attention. And it was like, I didn't break into hysteria over my son having cancer. I literally knew in that moment, I didn't know if Riley would live or die, but I knew that it was part of the plan mm. and I better pay attention. And so then I started to learn about the mindfulness stuff and all of that. And thankfully, my greatest gift and the gift I wish to give the world is the fact that I finally know who I am. I finally have reintegrated in back into my body. I know how to meditate and be still. And I know how to step behind my thoughts in that seat of observance. I know how to, even in my, when I'm triggered up and anxious, yeah, it's not fun. And, and sometimes I mess up or, or I check out or whatever, but I have the skills to um, stay with myself and to uh, connect to my higher power, to God. And, and when I feel those impressions that I receive from him, which I have my whole life, but I've always just discredited them and thought I was crazy mm. or, or thought like, you know, the world conditions us to think that, well, who are you to think that you should do that or that you could do that? Oh, well, other people could do that, but you can't do that. Those are all lies that we tell ourselves. And so I think that anyway, I just so important to know that God exists. It's so important to know how to connect with him. And there's this funny story that it tell, there is told in the Yamas and Niyamas. It's about um, when God first developed, after he developed humans, he, he came to up, back up to the council of the greats. And he says, I've just developed these humans. And I just realized they're always going to be wanting something from me. I have nowhere to hide. Where am I going to hide? And, and one of the wise ones said, well, hide on the top of 
you know, Mount Everest, hide in Mount Sinai or whatever. And he's like, no, they're too resourceful. They'll find me there. And this other one came up and whispered in his ear. And he said, that's genius. I'll hide within each one of them. They'll never look there. And it's so, it's like, until we decide to take that painful journey within and decide that we're going to sit in the shit and feel what we need to feel to learn what's inside there, like what's underneath the tip of the iceberg that we don't want to look at, I don't think we're ever going to be able to connect with God and then therefore we will not have that missing puzzle piece. And it makes life a little bit harder if you're not, have some sort of harmony, some sort of peace of who you are and and what life means to you, right? That core peace. Because when your world gets rocked, like it is for everybody right now, what do you hold on to? And so in when you asked me, like, how do I keep my family together? It's like, well, I want to see Riley again. And I believe that people go on after they, after their bodies go back to the earth. I believe that their spirits go on and I'm not going to give up on that belief. I feel that that's true. And I'm not going to give up on my connection with God because I know that's my source of peace of connection. And I'd like to be with all the rest of my, my family too, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how people even deal with grief if they don't, if they, if they don't believe in a higher power, because I, at least a universal energy or some kind of continuation because to think that I would never see him again, it's already hard enough thinking I got to wait like 80 years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I can see that it brings you a tremendous amount of strength and an ability to look at the heart and sit in the heart and know that somehow you're going to get through that. And there's another side to that, right? Yeah. And so God, it's it's heavy to carry, but I do believe there is an end. So God is that, that centerpiece, that puzzle piece that you yeah. talked about for you. Are there yeah. other pillars? Yeah. So the second one is understanding that you can't change others. That in order to change others, you actually have to change yourself. So I see it like the gears in a clock. I see these little gears with teeth on them. And when the first gear turns to the right, the teeth grab the, the, the gear next to it and turn it to the left. And then it grabs the, the gear just below it, turns it to the right. And... That's how our families function and everyone around us functions in these, these gears. And, and so when we decide to, you know, we can point fingers all we want and it just does nothing. But when we finally decide to take a look at ourselves, and that's what I think, um, you know, chakras, yamas and niyamas, maybe even religion or scriptures or whatever, you know, self-help books. I see them as like Google maps. If I put it, if I'm here and I put in a location 50 miles away, it's going to come up with like four routes. And those are, those are just different routes into yourself, into your journey of self. And as soon as I start to look at myself, um, I, I start to see that the people that bug me are actually like, it's like they're holding up a mirror and I'm seeing all the things about myself that I hate. And so as soon as I start to change myself, my gear starts to shake and get like everyone or everyone's gears like, what's up, what's up with mom? She's acting weird. What's, why is she doing that? And it causes more chaos for a while. But then pretty soon, as your gear starts to turn the other way, the gears around you automatically start turning the other way too, or they go away. So you will lose friends during your journey of self. 
but they weren't meant to be there if, if that's the case. So that's a powerful one too, is that you cannot change other people. And I don't know anybody that teaches us that better than our children. That, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I will not do what you say, mom. I will do everything except what you say. Exactly. So we can't, we can't tell them what to do, although we want to, but we can influence them. And if I heard you correctly, we influence them by changing Our ourselves. Behavior. And when we change ourselves, all of our relationships change. Yes. Yeah. And the other thing cool I like about that is, again, sorry, in the Yamas and Niyamas and nonviolence, it talks about it's actually violent to think that we should try to change or control somebody else, even our kids. Like, if we don't, if we don't trust that God has a plan for them, and we start kind of imposing our, what we think is their best version of them onto them, that's actually pretty violent. Mm-hmm. And we're going to screw up and get in the way of God's actual divine plan for them. But parents just, we have a hard time doing that. We have a hard oh, time. Because we want the best for them and we know what's best, don't we? Yeah. No. Of course. Well, I <laughs> Not <do>. so much. <laughs> I do. I have decided that my kids are all, now they're all grown, right? I have, to, I have adult children now and I'm like, you know what? They're really good kids. Are they doing everything I want them to do? No. But they're <laughs> such really good kids. And if I can just see who they are and love them... Yeah. then they get permission to change and they're not yeah. always fighting against mom. Exactly. You know, mom wants something for me, so I have to do the opposite thing. So true. Yeah. It's the whole reverse psychology thing. <laughs> but it changed. So and then true. I don't have to worry as much either because I'm like, it'll be okay. And if they really need me, I know they're going to call, right? And I'm going to, you know, we're going to figure out how to do it. But, but just to let them, I love, I love that concept. Yeah. We don't change people, but boy, we want to. Yep. Yeah, I'm listening to this book called Letting Go and it talks about um, the way to change somebody is just loving them mm-hmm. because when we just unconditionally love somebody, it gives them a solid ground to stand on where they're at, where they feel secure and solid. And then, like you said, then it does give them permission to go ahead and be whoever they want to be. Mm-hmm. But as long as we're, we are giving them that push pull, it's bringing them out of balance and they can't move forward because they don't have solid footing where they're at. Right. And, and we're, we're projecting, like you said, right? You project, everybody's a mirror and we're projecting our stuff and, and, or they're giving it to us and it's our stuff. And when we can start to open up and go, Oh, that's mine. It's not even theirs. Then we can take a look at what's going on for us and change us, which in turn changes our relationships. Right. Yeah. It's well, and I, 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 when I read Brene Brown's book, right. And I think it was gifts of imperfection where she defines blame. And she says, blame is a way to discharge blame, discharge pain and discomfort, right? So people want to give away their pain and discomfort. And I'm like, oh, oh. And when they give it away, so say, Jackie, I give my pain and discomfort to you. I've just given it away. I can't do anything with it. And neither can you because it's not really yours. And yeah. I gave it away. And so you get stuck in these really unhealthy patterns. Well, and it puts you in victim mode. Which totally. Then... You can't, if we, well, when we, when we are in victim mode, we can't fix the problem. Right. Anyway, but. It's not, yeah, it's not where we want to be. It's not that healthy place. And then, so what's your third pillar? So the third pillar I have is we are not here on spring break. We come here to earth and we think it's just supposed to be a big party, but it's really not. Um, like I said, we're, we're all spirits that came here to get a body so that we could experience things that would shape and mold us into the biggest and best versions of ourselves. And hard things are supposed to happen. Just like in, you know, my weight training classes, that's the resistance that is what strengthens us. Um, 
I mentioned the tapas, like, can you stay in the, the heat until you witness the miracle or the blessing or the lesson? And um, just acknowledging that nobody wants to feel. Um, my son, Riley, before he passed, he made all of us videos, which is so awesome. And I opened this yoga studio like the last year that he was here and I was taking care of him. He was living in our house with us and he could, he, you can hear everything that's going on in my house, wherever you're at. And so he, he listened to these chakra classes over and over and over and all the emotional stuff. And so in the videos to me, he, he's like, mom, you got to teach people how to feel. He's like, nobody knows how to feel. You gotta, you gotta teach people about these, what are those, what is it? I mean, I've heard this over and over for the last eight months. Oh, chakras. <laughs> but anyway, um, and he just really became aware. He read Victor Frankl's Frankel. book. Um, Man's Search for Meaning. Yes, he read that when he was getting his diagnosis of mm. terminal, and it really helped him. But um, just, you know, we, we label our emotions good or bad. And who, who really decided which ones were good and which ones were bad? I mean, every emotion is a gift and a blessing that was divinely designed to teach and transform us into a better version of ourselves. And as we learn to feel, and then as we cho choose to stay, knowing that those emotions will pass and take that next step upward, we eventually become free. So I think in the scriptures, it talks a lot about bondage, people mm -hmm. being in bondage. We always think of like, I don't know, like you, what do you think? I think of like Indians and cowboys and Indians like tying each other up. But I think our bondage comes from our minds, the choices that we make or the labels we allow ourselves to wear or, you know. Numbing our emotions and numbing, numbing all of those emotions and not feeling. And I've never thought about bondage that way in quite that, that yeah. frame of reference, but, but numbing and not wanting to feel. Mm. Like, we just keep ourselves so stuck yeah. by our thoughts. I mean, we, <clears throat> I think this is my next point, but, um, yeah. So our, our thoughts have the power to keep us in a literal state of hell, and we're free to leave at any time, but in order to do that, we have to be willing to feel them and let them out. So That's where I love yoga, too, is a lot of stuff, I think, gets stuck in our bodies. If you've ever read that book, The Body Keeps the Score. Right. It talks about how 70% of what's stuck inside of us can we can release through talk therapy. and But the other 30%, which you'll see a lot of you know rehab or addiction programs implementing exercise or yoga or tai chi or something, is because we actually have to move our bodies to get those other that other 30% out and it is true because just for an example when my nephew passed just a month or just a month ago um and I I went with his parents to see his body in his apartment and it was pretty traumatizing I think I still feel some effects of trauma but I'm very very calm in emergent situations and I think my brother called me because I had lost my son and so he figured I might know what to do so I felt all this responsibility so I was trying to like hold their space for them and do all the right things for them and make sure I didn't do anything that the people who had hurt me did you know I was just like oh so that whole day was so difficult and I got 
in bed that night and I hadn't cried one tear and I was like, there's something definitely wrong with me today. And I went to bed, I got up <clears throat> and in the morning I went to the gym and to, got up on stage to teach my class. And the minute I started moving my body and talking my cues, I was like, oh crap, here it comes, here it comes. Like, I'm not in shock anymore. And it all just, and for three days I sat at home and bawled and was hysterical because it was stuck, but the mm -hmm. movement of our bodies actually helps to get rid of that. So, and then the last point that I, that I think about often is, um, how, how do we learn to feel and to be okay doing it? I think that's the big question is how, how do we learn to do that? I think the first thing is to realize that we are not our thoughts, nor are we our physical bodies. So in my yoga classes, I teach it Vasa and in my workshops, I explain all this, but in my regular classes at the gym, they're just a yoga class, but my verbiage, like I'll have people on their hands and knees and I'll have them like circle their hips really big. And I'll be like, see that light in the center of your being and allow it to expand outward until it actually pushes on the interior of your skin and, you know, creating spaciousness and expanse in your body, room for your spirit to be big. And, and, and I say these things, which probably sound like complete hoodoo voodoo to people. <laughs> but then every week without fail, people come up to me and they're like, your class is changing me. Whatever it is you're saying in here, just really speaks to my heart. And I'm just like, well, I'm secretly teaching you about Christ, <laughs> but you just don't know it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And so anyways, I think number one, we have to realize that we are not our thoughts, nor are we our physical bodies. We are these enormous spirits that are stuffed into these itty bitty living spaces. Um, we have 60,000 thoughts per day. And most of those 60,000 are thoughts we are repeating from yesterday and we'll repeat tomorrow. So we keep our mind cluttered with so much crap. If we could utilize our brains for fresh ideas, we could be so much more productive and healthy. Well, uh, and that seems easy to say, but there's a process, right? It doesn't yeah. come without a cost. It takes... So I remember the first time I did yoga or meditation, I thought it was the biggest waste of time. Like for people that are type A, it's torture. Nobody thinks it's a good idea to waste an hour sitting there on a mat breathing, but it's the most valuable thing you can do. Um, and you just have to, you have to make a commitment to try it mm -hmm. at, at least enough times to experience what, what it does for you. Yeah. Well, Changed I, my life. And I, you know, I think I would have been on that camp that said, you want me to go sit and stretch and just sit for an hour yeah. and whose life? But I actually over, not maybe, well, but just before COVID, right? I had to stop, but I started going to the gym and changing some things. And one day a week, I would just do this stretch class and that's all we would do, turn off the light and we would just stretch. And I'm like, all right, I might give this a shot. But amazingly enough, exactly what you said, right? It was a whole shift and it was incredibly powerful yeah and it wasn't even yoga <laughs> did you did you ever start to feel like emotions come up while you were shifting oh yeah or stretching I mean yeah yeah I I noticed that like even if if I'm lifting weights or something or when I'm teaching yoga I'll just start to have a, like an inferno coming out or I'll start crying or 
Well, there's a whole, I mean, what you're talking about is, is not, I mean, it's fairly new, especially in the, in the therapy industry. I've actually been talking to a couple of therapists that have spent the last year learning, they call it somatic energy work. Oh. And, um, and it's movement, like you say, because we've got different energy systems in our bodies, right? And, and those physical systems, those movement systems, those cells, you know, the body keeps the score, they don't forget. Yeah. And if we're not moving to release that, then then you're right. Some of our trauma, some of our big T's or little T traumas, right? They get stuck in there and, and it's absolutely a piece. And I'm fascinated with that piece as well. I'm actually going to see, if, I think we're going to have them on the, on the podcast That'd here in the future. So I, I love to hear people talk about it because I think it, I know it's real because I yeah. hear the, the trauma industry talk about it frequently. Yeah, for sure. So on this this list under that fourth point was, let's see, increase your awareness in the present time. So um, when we catch ourselves chasing our thoughts, we need to kindly walk ourselves back into our bodies. And so uh, I didn't bring my anxiety cycle with me, but it's like in this cycle of anxiety, there's this secret hidden doorway where if we will learn how to just be a little bit more aware and present in our bodies, we'll, we'll start to notice the physical symptoms of a trigger. And before we go right to, you know, and we'll, we'll feel the increased anxiety, but before we go to our checkout, there's this little hidden door where we can exit and we can um, stop that cycle by choosing to feel that discomfort and realizing that it will pass um, and, and there's some silly little techniques you can do to, uh, to keep yourself present. Like when you start to feel the anxiety, you can say, okay, I'm going to find everything in this room that's pink. And you just look around and it just brings you back to right here. Or I oftentimes when I'm talking, I'll, I'll think, okay, I can feel my feet on the ground or I'll tap my leg or I'll notice where my breath goes in the body, meaning like, does it stop at my throat? Or can I bring it all the way down to my belly? Like, where are my, my shoulders? Am I holding them up? Where, you know? And so those are just little techniques we can do or whatever to kind of keep ourselves in the present situation. And then always being aware of our breath. And the, the biggest thing is a lot of times when I have anxiety, I will start, I'll, I know breath is valuable. And so we'll take these nice, long, deep breaths in and then we go, <sighs> <sighs> but it's actually this, the, the trick and the magic is in <clears throat> slowing down the exhale. Mm -hmm. It's that long, slow exhale that is like, oh, I'm okay. And so I think there's magic there. Number five is moving your body. So stomping your feet, tapping your legs, just rubbing your face and just kind of reminding yourself, this is my body, I'm inside of here. And then um, you have to get off the hamster wheels in your head and start to notice what you're feeling in your body. So really, literally, I'll ask myself, what am I feeling in my body? So like if I'm in the presence of a new person, I'm in the seat of observance and I'm saying, what is my body feeling right now? And our instincts can tell us you know, if that person's safe, if that person's lying, you know, if that person's whatever it is, I think our spirits can communicate if we're, if we learn how to use our brains enough. But, and then the last one is just to stay with your breath. So staying present in your body so that you can live in the now and to be where you are at all times. Um, I think, uh, like, again, one of my favorite little stories that I share in my yoga workshops is just the genie 
being in that that bottle and in the Aladdin movie. Oh. And I especially love Will Smith singing <laughs> in the cave of wonders. But uh, it's interesting because, you know, notice that I just talked a lot about tapping our body or noticing what you feel in your body. Well, the genie, this huge, phenomenal cosmic power, um, is crammed into this itty-bitty living space, this little rusty old lamp. And in order to get that the genie to come out, what do we do? We rub the lamp. Well, our bodies are like that lamp. And if you read or listen to a lot of podcasts or information, people who have had near-death experiences um, where they've actually left their bodies and have to come back into them, they will always tell you that they look at their body and they think, how am I going to fit back into that thing? Like that they think that their bodies are so small and it's painful. Mm. They say it's painful to come back into them. And so just in that part in the, that Aladdin movie where Aladdin outsmarts, is it Jafar? And I think Jafar wants to be the all powerful um, sultan or whatever it is. And he thinks he's won. He thinks he's used his wishes to get the, the best thing in the world. And the Aladdin says, oh, you're not the strongest person in the world. The genie is. And so then he wishes himself to be the genie and he immediately gets sucked down into this itty and and it's and the genie says phenomenal cosmic powers in an itty bitty living space <laughs> and it's like we we all are phenomenal cosmic power and we are all connected and we do not even comprehend one inkling of the power that we possess or the way that we affect those close to us but even everyone on earth yeah with even just our thoughts i love that analogy i had never thought of the the genie bottle as as the as that like you you know like you talk about being our bodies and that we've got this cosmic energy about us interesting yeah i, I like I that, that. I love that. And I love that you, you know, obviously it's quite apparent that you're not just sharing information, you're sharing those key pieces that have kept, kept you going through some really, really hard stuff. Yeah. I, I have learned to only just, well, even after Riley passed and then these other, you know, loved ones in my life have passed and different people have been removed from my life. And I was, I get frustrated and angry. Like, what are you doing to me, God? Like, what are you doing? And then it's miraculously, it's usually either when I go on a walk or a run or when I'm on my cycle bike or on my yoga mat, I receive these intense lessons, this inspiration. And I went for a walk a couple months ago and, and it was like, it was interesting. It was really cool. I Googled spiritual music right before I left and I just uploaded a bunch of random songs onto a playlist. And when I left the house, I hit shuffle. And as I start to walk, I'm like, okay, Jackie, get out of your head. What do you feel in your body? By the time I'm like half a mile away, I'm, I'm in that meditative state. And all of a sudden it's like, God has put together this musical for Jackie. Like just the right song is coming on at just the right time. And I'm, being taught just the right lesson and and by the end of my walk i i had had a visit by a person that had passed on and received you know a message from them and and just a very personal message from god him saying stop looking to the arm of flesh stop looking for help from others everything you need is 
within you, which basically you are part of the divine. Mm. So turn to me, just me and you. And um, ironically, my I pick a word of the year every year, and my word of this year is atonement because it means at one with. And um, I think we don't all realize, I think the solution to all the world's problems is all of us realizing who we are. Mm. Super powerful, super powerful. Jackie, it's been an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you and to listen to your story and the journey that you've been on and and the way that you've been able to give back as a result of what you've experienced, right? You've been able to impact people's lives in huge ways um, and, and show up for them in their loss in ways that other people maybe can't. And so I've been absolutely inspired today listening to your story can't thank you enough for coming and, and sharing with us. Thank you.